0: I am the reaper of souls, I am the dead man. For thirty years I've put down everyone who stood up to me. I've left a pile of bodies a thousand miles long in my wake. But tonight, tonight I gaze upon the face of true darkness. Tonight I look into the void of purest evil. Tonight, I'm on Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. How's everybody doing today? Yes, you may be wondering why, in lieu of my usual D&D-related intro, I've gone with an impression of The Undertaker. Well, you will find out in today's interview with none other than my good friend and co-worker, Gunner Vincent Calloway. He and I had a great time talking to each other. We talk a lot about painting. We talk a little about the campaign that he's playing in. It's a great interview, great episode. We have great fun. I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing it. Uh, but first, a couple plugs to get to. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. If you want to shout at me about the show, tell me my Undertaker impression sucks, or look at the minis that I've been painting. And uh, as always, we are available on Anchor. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find fine podcasts. I would love it if you would leave me a rating and a review on whichever platform you use. Uh, Five stars, one star, it doesn't really matter. Just as long as you leave me a review so that we start to get exposure and this little audience of ours starts to grow. Uh, A couple of quick plugs I want to get in before we get started and uh, before we get into today's rant. Uh, First and foremost, I want to congratulate Mystic Dragon Games, uh, their Kickstarter. At the time of this recording, has 13 hours left. It is fully funded. They blew it out of the water. I, I'm so excited for what they have in store. I'm really looking forward to what they what they build upon with uh, their their Mobius deck of wonders. But then even moving beyond that, moving into kind of the the settings that they're talking about making, all the all the different cool stuff that they have talked about doing. I, I'm really looking forward to what they have in store. And I also want to shout out Broadsword Magazine, of course, by a good friend, DM Dave. I received word today that uh, the magazines are being shipped. They should be here within the next couple weeks. I'll be able to crack open my copy of Broadsword Magazine and review it for you guys here on the show. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, As always, if you want to get Broadsword Magazine, uh, I have a link. I have a referral link that you can use. Uh, You'll find it in the description of this episode. Uh, I get a little kickback from whatever sales are made from that link, so if you want to help me out and you want to help DM Dave out and you want this awesome 5th edition supplement that arrives every month, please go to my Broadsword Magazine affiliate link. You'll find it in the episode description. Alright, so with that out of the way, let's get into today's Rant from Behind the screen. Oh boy, we got a big one today. I could rant about this for a very long time. I'm going to try and keep it concise, because today we are talking about one of the most important but controversial aspects of D&D and most every role-playing game, that being the dice. That's right, the dice are extremely controversial. The dice are a fickle mistress, and the dice will either cause some of the greatest or some of the worst nights of your entire gaming career. I've been noticing a lot of, of patterns lately in, you know, some of the memes that I've seen online. Of course, a lot of these rants come from various memes that pop up on my social media and some of my experience in the real world. And I just want to talk about what the dice are and what the dice aren't. That's that's really going to be the crux of this rant. So first and foremost, uh, I do want to say if you are one of those players who doesn't like the dice, you, you don't really like having to roll dice. There are diceless RPGs out there. They're a lot more story-driven, a lot less action-focused, but you can find diceless RPGs. Some people tell me they're a lot of fun. I've never tried one, but I would absolutely be down to try one at some point, just just for the experience of it. Now, this is kind of where different play styles kind of come into conflict with each other. So there's a... (laughs) As Matt Colville so, so wonderfully articulated one time, and as I, I like to say, kind of echoing his sentiments, there there's a type of player who is known as the actor. This is, you know, a person who's very focused on role play. And the stereotype is that this type of player is hates the dice because the dice get in the way of whatever it is they're trying to do. Now I call it a stereotype uh, because while it does manifest itself a lot in these types of players, there are other types of players who kind of fall into this this actor play style who love the dice. I consider myself one of them. I don't mind the fact that occasionally I'm going to roll a two. At the very least, it gives me something to work with. It is a complication that I can work past, and sometimes it makes for a damn good story. Sometimes you'll just be rolling crap all night. You'll just be like, two, a five. An eight, you'll get no higher than a 10, and then suddenly, boom, there it is. You think you're useless, you think you're absolutely terrible, you've missed every single shot in this combat, but then that 20 pops up. That 20 pops up and suddenly you are on fire. You're killing everything in sight. That's a good story. That's what the dice brings to the table that I love. Now, for those of you who hate the dice, I just have to break this to you. If you're playing D&D, the dice are the game. The dice are everything. Everything in the game is going to eventually come down to a dice roll. Be it damage, be it I want to take this action, be it I need you to make this save. At some point, if you're playing D&D, you're going to have to roll a d20. And I understand the frustration. I get it. I've been the ranger who, when the time finally comes that something needs to be tracked down, you roll the dice and you see that three looking at you. And you get to add your bonus and whatever, but by the end of it, you've got, okay, that is a 10. So yeah, you... You don't find anything. Now, that that's a completely different problem. DMs you should let your party fail forward. So if if say the ranger rolls like a, a five on tracking, instead of saying, okay, you don't find the trail, say you find the trail, but it takes a long time, and by the time you find it and follow it, it's already gone cold. Then I need you to make another survival check, roll the d20 again. Hopefully this time it comes up better and they're able to make up for that lost ground. But for players, you have to realize not everything you do in the game is going to work out. If it did, then I mean at that point, where's where's the conflict? Where's, you know, where's the where's the challenge? I mean, why even play a game? Why not just sit there and tell a story? And that's that's kind of my problem with the concept of a diceless system is that you're basically just sitting around telling a story. And at that point, just write a book. If you want to, in your mind, decide how the narrative goes, just write a book. But if you want some challenge? If you want some difficulty, if you want to kind of simulate what it would be like if, say, although a person were trying to do this, roll the dice. That's what they're there for. The dice are a challenge for you to overcome. And it's not all down to the number that shows up on the dice. By the time you're at level 15, anything above a 5 is gonna end up being like a 14 at minimum. And that hits a lot of things. At high levels, you basically, with some classes, get to the point where all you have to do is not roll a one. But you have to get there. You have to, you have to climb that mountain. You have to earn those stripes. And you have to do that by rolling dice. That's the game. You have to roll dice at some point. If you can't get over the fact that you have to roll dice, that you have to take a chance, then you shouldn't be playing RPGs. It's as simple as that. Now, enough harping on the people who hate the dice. Let's turn to the people who love the dice a little too much. This is where we get into where the dice are not something. So the dice are fundamental to the core of D&D. They are the challenge. They are what determines whether or not you can do something in this game. They are not a license to do whatever you want. Case in point, one of my least favorite character types that shows up at the table is the horny bard. I hate the horny bard. I hate the horny bard. That is not to say I hate people who play sexual characters if that's what you want to do as long as everyone at the table is fine with it sure if you want to play a bard who likes to hit on the tavern wenches go for it as long as everyone at the table is okay that's good but the horny bard is different the horny bard is the one who wants to resolve every situation by seducing things this is where kind of the, the rise of D&D on the internet has been to its detriment. There's all kinds of memes about the bard seducing something. Something that's not meant to be seduced. And it's always, I'm going to seduce it, okay, give me a persuasion check, rolls, natural 20. Shit. Well, all right, so the gelatinous cube has decided that you're looking mighty fine right now and uh, it would like a piece. That's dumb. I'm sorry, that's that's dumb. That's the kind of game you wanna play, fine. But in my game, that's dumb. But the problem in that situation is the dice. He rolled a 20. A 20 always succeeds. A natural 20 always succeeds. That's in the rulebook. A 1 always fails. A 20 always succeeds. So what do you do? What do you do? This, this, this Joker has somehow seduced this gelatinous cube. Well, you're the DM. Just tell him no. If you don't want the gelatinous cube to be seduced, if you think that's dumb, if you think there's no universe in which a gelatinous cube would want to get it on with an elf or a dwarf or a human or whatever humanoid race or whatever race your uh, your players are playing, just say, he's not into you. Don't even let him roll. Don't say roll persuasion. Don't do it. If it doesn't make sense, just say, no, no, we're not doing that. It's not into you. It doesn't matter how pretty you are. Because a lot of times, players—and this is not just the horny bard—players will do this. Players will roll a dice without you asking them to, and they'll get a high number, and they'll say, Ooh, do I—do I see this? I—I rolled a 20. This was for a perception check. Players never roll a dice unless the DM asks for it, or the DM okays it. You can ask if you can roll a check— And I will at my table if you say hey can I roll can I roll an investigation check to determine such and such and then I'll say yes or no and then they roll it but players you can't decide when to roll a check that's not your job that's the dm's job so always ask permission before you roll the dice and dms police that be on your players if you see them rolling a dice you say hey uh, I didn't ask for a roll. If they're like, eh, I'm just rolling my dice, just some players just play with their dice. Okay. But don't let them don't let them keep rolling their dice until they get a high number and then saying, Ooh, can I use this for No. No, that's not, no, no. They roll when you ask for it. That's your job. That's your job as the DM. You ask for the dice rolls. That's why some DMs, and I I don't like this approach either. That's why some DMs roll everything for their players. I think that's dumb. I think you should let your players roll roll their dice. The players love doing that, for the most part. A lot of players love to roll the dice. If I took that away from, like, David Holland is a good example. He loves rolling dice. He. That's why he likes to play a rogue. He likes to roll those... <laughs> He likes to roll those four d6s for his sneak attack. If I took that away from him, he'd be upset. So don't... I'm gonna say don't roll checks for your players. Let them do it, but ask for them. Don't just let them roll a dice and then be like, oh, I'm gonna use this for... No. If you ask for it, you ask for it, then they roll. Or they ask, you say yes, then they roll. Even... And this will be the last thing I say about this. Even if you know that a fight's coming up, wait for the DM to say roll initiative. Don't just... Roll, and then be like, all right, that's my initiative. No, wait for the DM to ask. And if you do roll, and then the DM says roll for initiative, roll. Because that first roll, no no matter how high or low it was, doesn't count. DM asked for it. So yeah, that's, that's going to do it for the, the rant on the dice. That's something that pops up all the time. Lou Cart from from DM layer. he did a video on cheaters in D&D, and a lot of it came down to fudging dice rolls and basically rolling dice when the DM was not asking you to roll dice. A lot of it came down to dice-related stuff, and that kind of got me thinking about it. I not talked about it, and so that's... That's where we are. I feel like it's something that needs to be addressed, uh, especially with the the prevalence of players, and I wouldn't go so far as to call this cheating, but the players who decide they're going to roll the dice for a certain skill check that the DM has not asked for, that's really common, it's kind of annoying, and I, I wish players wouldn't do that. And as a DM, I don't think you should allow that at your table, it, if you do, It's your table, I can't tell you what to do, but that's not something I like at my table. You ask, I say yes, you roll, or I ask and you roll. That's how the dice rolls are supposed to go, at least in my opinion. And if you disagree with me, if you disagree with me on any of the rants, any of the things that I say, hit me up on Twitter. I, I guess you could hit me up on Instagram too, that's kind of a weird forum for this kind of discussion, but if you want to, you can do it. Alright, so that is going to do it for today's RANT FROM BEHIND THE SCREEN. So, without further ado, it is time we should get into the main event, appropriately, for uh, today's episode. And that is, of course, my interview with my good friend Gunner Vincent Calloway. I hope you all enjoy it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Rollin' Bones, my friend and coworker, Mr. Gunner Vincent Calloway. Gunner, how are you doing?
1: Doing just fine, Ryan. How are you?
0: I am doing great. I am doing great because we are on Rollin' Bones. Gunner, this is your first time on the show, so I have to ask you these introductory questions that I ask everybody when they come on the show. So first and foremost, Gunnar, how did you get into RPGs and D and D?
1: I would say RPGs came first, and that was just from years of playing many different kinds of uh, video games. And then D and D wasn't until I got to college, um, and I had a dedicated group of people who were willing to all get together, you know, once a week, and then do the D and D thing. Um, but uh, consistently, like kept showing interest. Um, and it was really just the prospect of being able to control your own character, like completely, from the ground up, building it from scratch. You can customize everything, you know, from their height to their eye color, and then, Playing that character for you know weeks and weeks with all your buddies, like of course, yeah, I'm I'm sold. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that that's kind of it. it definitely started in, in in my video game career, and then moving into you know going to college and meeting a lot of similar like-minded people.
0: Yeah, I remember after the first session I played Rapt. I I was playing with complete strangers that I hooked up with over Reddit actually to to go over to their place and, and play D D. And when I finished up this is the first time I'd ever played, the one guy said, What do you think? And I said, This is amazing. And he goes, It's like a video game with no rules, right? Just, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Some very uh some very light rules, but yeah, I mean most of it's open to interpretation. That's awesome.
0: Absolutely. So what was that first game that you played?
1: Oh my gosh. We did I don't think at the start it intended to be what it became or what it had become uh, it was essentially we kept calling it the uh, the D&D rock opera <laughs> and um, our characters we had two bards in our group I was one of them I was a half orc bard This is my first ever D&D character mind you like mm-hmm. never played any of the older generations started at, at fifth edition I did half orc bard who used a rapier Uh, as his main as his main hand um and a slew i'm talking like at least six different instruments like all in his pack I, i built it out i had like it was just like this one man band and then we also had another bard um we ended up essentially finding the pick of destiny similar to tenacious d and like went across the land and did all of these like Basically, Battle of the Bards, like Battle of the Bands, is what we called it. And it was insane. And it was, I think at one point we had consistently had nine people showing up, including the DM. So it was a big group. Mm-hmm. And sessions would run anywhere between four to seven hours. Oh my God. <laughs>
0: that sounds. The player in me is like, oh, that sounds great. The DM in me is just yeah. like, oh,
1: God, no. <laughs> what, what am I doing with my life? Oh, yeah. It, he was such... A, and he was his first time DMing, too. Uh, he was incredible. Like he, he was such a champ. He was so patient and like just took everything in stride and was very fair and unbiased. And, yeah, it was great. We probably played for about eight or nine months consistently and then it ended with kind of like a clash with the gods you know our, our power became too strong we, <laughs> we dug too deep and then it, yeah it was this like we, we did like a whole session of like prep and planning like maritime like war prep and then the, like another session which was like eight and a half hours long gotcha yeah
0: N- now in a group that size with this being your first game did you find it was difficult to kind of like get your shit in as it were
1: yeah I mean it was so, it was great because we had a lot of experienced players um you know the dm being brand new but have already had been playing several other campaigns kind of knew what he was trying to do what he was trying to accomplish again I don't think he had intended for it to become this kind of rock opera as as we affectionately called it but you know he he adapted to what everybody's play style was and you know listened to what we were trying to say and what we were trying to accomplish and then yeah so many experienced players and then you know me my good friend um at the time I was living with and like a couple other people were brand new to it so just kind of welcomed us in um it really wasn't that hard honestly to get into it I think the hardest part always just is is just you know like ironing out a complete character, you know, at any level. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once we got into it, we were hooked. Same thing. It was just like, you know, hey, did you guys have fun? I was like, yeah, when are we coming back and doing this again? This is great.
0: So this first character, the half-orc bard, what was his name?
1: This was, uh... (laughs) his name was Borgu the impotent. Oh God. And I understand, (laughs) I do understand what the word impotent means. Yep. Um, And one of my, I think my, most unintentionally brilliant things i I ever did Uh, he in his starting inventory you can kind of have like a a personal letter or an effect that's just you always keep on your person it's like you know like a memorabilia like a keepsake Mm -hmm. um borgu always on his person had a letter from his mom and it was one line and it read you do you borgu Love mom, and that was it. And like for some reason, that just like everybody kept saying it. Like from there on out, like after the letter had been uncovered, uh, from my unfortunate and untimely death, uh, and so that was kind of like their mantra. After It was just like, you know what, you do you, Borku. <laughs> and it was like the de facto, like you do what you got to do, man. Like that's that's life. <laughs> and it's, he was he was such a goofball. He he was a a. a a robust and, and magnificently strange character
0: <laughs> for sure. So there was this uh comic that one of my friends sent me, and he's very much this guy in my old D group. But basically for for those of you who don't have the benefit of being in on the uh the Skype chat that we have going here, <laughs> um at the top it says session one. And uh, the DM's voice says, okay, so your name is Slappy Jack, Slap Happy Jack? Yeah. Slappy for short. You're a fireball barbarian who was raised by clowns, yes. Yes. And he's got all this ridiculous stuff. He throws pies as improvised weapons. But then at the bottom,
1: (laughs) section 40, the whole temple's
0: (laughs) coming down. You have to get the phylactery (laughs) out of here now. No, Slappy, not without you. Go, damn you. Slappy, I I know Pacifica. I've always known.
1: Oh, it's just this very, like, intimate moment where they're both like, looking at each other in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's why so everybody falls in love with Slappy. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he becomes the martyr of the campaign.
0: We had that with, with the character that uh, this guy, Austin, who's been on the show before, was playing, named B.T., who was a storm cleric, Ooh. whose god was, like, he was a storm god, but he was the god of... The Calm Following a Storm. So basically, he just invented Rastafarianism for D&D.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I can see it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and he had a temple that became one of the largest narcotic smuggling operations in the entire setting that we were running in. Oh my gosh. And by the end, uh, he, he died in actually a rather epic fashion because he made enemies with a vampire, which we discussed in that episode. But it was a truly, like, gripping, emotional moment. And my character in particular had formed an odd bond with this character. hmm And so it, it became something emotional for my character as well. Was was Burgu like that for your party?
1: Yeah, I mean, it just, like, he, he was so almost, like, whimsical and carefree about everything. And, again, it, it was to his own demise that he ended up... I, and I, I can't even, it's a long story, but essentially fell off of a 800 foot waterfall, um, and died before he hit the water. Um, it was a crit fail on a saving throw, like to make the dive. So the way we had kind of played it out, um, is that Borgu, realizing his fate panicked and in his last moments had a heart attack and died before he even hit the water it was and it was so tragic like everything leading up to it, like we just did our big like battle of the bards um he ended up not showing up and everybody kind of freaked out cuz i was supposed to be you know like the headliner and they had to find a substitute like like the like an hour before like he like he goes off on his own on some little spiritual journey um and yeah i mean it was tragic and like it was one of those moments it's like as soon as he was gone everybody was like oh no we lost borgoo <laughs> like <laughs> Just had like worked his way into everybody's heart and all of his little hand drums and, and pan flutes and um, his 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 weapon of choice by the end of it. I had custom commissioned a essentially a giant wrought iron triangle that I would hit <laughs> with my rapier to kind of like initiate combat. It was like our <laughs> war cry like i just imagine like like essentially like a giant like uh what are they like um like the rebar pipe but just mm-hmm. like curved at, at two bends and came into a triangle <laughs> he was ridiculous um but uh, yeah it just was you know loved by all you know mm-hmm. and uh his, his story lives on <laughs> in, in the hearts of many yeah it, it was such a, a a crazy cool like introductory you know step into dungeons and dragons for me and i was like yeah i'm like again i'm hooked like when are we doing this again and and then you know immediately after i just i picked up the book and i was like okay what am i gonna play next like didn't even (laughs) didn't even skip a beat
0: now with that story i think we kind of have a a good sense of it but i'd I'd like to hear you tell everyone kind of what your play style is as a player but then also what your play style is as a dm
1: yeah most of the time in and, and my characters following borgu, i I wanted to just keep stepping into new roles and just trying to get you know a, a little bit of everything, a little taste of everything that was available to me. Um, and I've done a little bit of like home brewing with with my current DM. and I've also done like custom races and classes and stuff on my own as a DM. Um so my playstyle, I just again, I, I think the whole point is just to be adaptive. Regardless of of what you're trying to play or accomplish on your own, it's good to set a character with, I think, the two most important things are you know, fears and goals. Like, you know, what are they motivated to, you know, get done? What will motivate them to get something done? And also, what are they afraid of? I think a lot of other uh, popular DMs talk about that a lot. Hmm. And other, like, um, interviews and podcasts that I've watched and so that's a really good way for me to just to kind of, you know, building a new character or a new, uh, you know, PC or um, NPC in, in, in my campaigns. I try and just, you know, make a character who's willing to kind of roll with the punches, um, but again, has their own motivation and then also, you know, like has something, is like their bottom line, like what they won't do or what they won't, you know, they're not going to interact with something. And that's that's kind of how I start making characters is just, you know, thinking a lot about, uh, you know where they are in the world you know what are their aspirations you know what are they trying to achieve like i i and most of the time i kind of let the backstory kind of flush itself out on its own like especially if i'm if i'm playing a character in somebody else's campaign i like to just kind of build like a vague you know this is where he's from this is kind of like his his home life but what he's kind of done now or he or she and then you know i kind of i kind of I, I like to what's the word i like to collaborate the dm a lot and just kind of see you know where you know their campaign is what what, where some kind of key elements or things in play and then for myself you know it, it tends to be characters that i make you know they their aspirations their goals are kind of like you kind of have to pry it out of them almost like they're going to be doing their own thing but like to really get to know them i think you you kind of like there's those um there's those checks in play Where you're trying to, you know, okay, what is this person about? Whether it's through insight or just through talking to them several times. Uh, I feel like that's a really long-winded long way to answer your question. But that's typically my play style as player and as DM.
0: In your time playing RPGs and playing D&D, can you think of the most fun game you've ever played or run?
1: (sighs) The most fun, I think, is it's got to be the one that we're I'm currently a player in right now um it's the 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 adventure itself is is titled adventure quest it's very very classic rpg element you know very much you know based on like going in somewhere like getting the quest you know finding, you know, a dungeon or somewhere and like it's it's very like to its core, I feel like what draws people into D&D and what's great is we had a couple new characters or excuse me, new players join for the first time. Um and just kind of getting to see them get into it, it is always I think it's more fun for me like to see somebody else who's not really Used to like the role playing or like the 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 mindset of of playing a character in D and D and like seeing somebody really get invested in like weighing decisions. Like, to me, that's just like that's so cool, and it's really enjoyable to see somebody who's like really letting their imagination take over. You know, they're not so caught up in the rules. They're not caught up in you know, oh, does this look like a cool thing that you know my friends will like me for? You know, it's it's not about like your your, reput- your reputation and your, your stuff everything kind of falls away and you just kind of get lost in that character i think that's one of the coolest things about it and i see that a lot with my friends that we're playing now and like we're, we're in a lot of like heavy backstory for one character and it's kind of like the spotlight's been on him and, and he's talked about it several times he's like yeah i really can't wait for this to be over because like it's kind of a lot of pressure like you know when uh, all the characters all the all the dms people are talking to you and they're trying to get answers from you and he's like i don't know man i just come here and i hit things really hard I, I, <laughs> but like you can tell he's really like he ended up uh he did this whole um monologue that he had like kind of written down a couple times and rehearsed and he was really like just I- I- exemplifying his character and it just it really st- it stood out to me as another player who's you know played for a little while and be like wow you know, you can really feel like this person's into it, and like it makes you want to step your game up. And I think for the DM, especially as a DM, like that's so inspiring to see somebody come to your game and then you know just like hit the ground running. Um, I think that's that's this has been the most fun, the most the f- the most fun go around now, getting to see that and just uh, yeah. And I think honestly, I'm I'm playing my most favorite character to date, which is a cleric. Like I, I've, I usually play like main, you know, attack DPS or like tank roles, but like, I've really never played a support character this much and, uh, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. That's something that I've kind of been looking into as well. Um, normally I like to play the Ranger,
1: not mm-hmm.
0: necessarily for mechanical stuff, although with the unearthed Arcana and with the Xanathar's, uh, additional conclaves, Rangers aren't as underpowered as they were at the beginning of 5th edition, but I just kind of like the flavor of it. But then I've tried fighter, and I think fighters are cool as well, but recently I've kind of had the itch to play a druid.
1: Yes.
0: Which there's a guy who just joined my Wednesday night game uh, that I'm a player in who is a druid, and he seems to be he seems to be having fun with it, I think. He he's still kind of getting used to it. I I think he's new to D&D itself. Oh yeah. But he's discovering all the cool stuff that druids can do, and then kind of talking through that with him, I got to reading through the druid entry and I was just like, man, I should do that. I should do that next time. Next time, I make a character.
1: <laughs> yeah, getting able, uh, being able to use beast shape is, I think, Arguably one of the coolest abilities that there is, like just picking like a beast from like a a challenge rating list and being like, yeah, I'm going to be that. I'm I'm just going to turn into that and (laughs) fly away or turn into a spider or something. Like I think that was just it's always. I think that actually I ended up playing a druid. That was my my second character because I saw a wild shape and I was like, ooh, ooh, yeah, I like that.
0: Let's let's try that out. Also, if you run out of wild shapes, you have a cantrip that gives you a d8 magic weapon that you can use your wisdom modifier on attacks for i am not done talking about shillelagh everyone yes we're doing it again second episode in a row
1: shillelagh is where it's at i stand by it ryan it's a really really powerful cantrip
0: people always sleep on shillelagh
1: don't you ever sleep on shillelagh (laughs) yeah don't you sleep
0: on shillelagh (laughs) that's awesome all right, so in that same time frame, uh, Gunner, can you think of the least fun game you've ever played in or run? Um, least fun, I
1: mean, it's tough because not everybody is, you know, it's not for everybody. You know, the mm-hmm. game, it's it's kind of, like I said, it's kind of one of those things where it works better when you allow yourself to kind of get lost in it and let your imagination take over. Um, and I'd say the, the, the least fun is, Comparatively, was I think the first session of the first uh, campaign that I ever ran, and it essentially was a um, it was a pirate themed campaign, and uh, you know it's my first time doing it. You know I'm already nervous enough. You know trying to make sure I don't forget everything, and I'm interacting with everybody, and I'm trying to you know set the atmosphere up and and do it all right, like you know how I had planned and, and rehearsed dozens of times over. Uh, one of my good friends ended up not coming back and it wasn't anything to do with me or you know my style it was just you know he didn't really mesh with the 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 game itself and he had a hard time he'd already been playing with us for a while and then i started my campaign on a different day so it ended up putting you know two different days in the week we're playing dnd um and he just he opted out of both and he just you know politely walked away and was like you know again I think you guys are great. Uh, You know, it's nothing about you. It's just like I don't think this game is for me. And that was just kind of like, oh man, like, uh, and and you really can't like, you know, can't knock them for it. Like, if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. And a very respectable way to go out. Um, But you know, it could, it wasn't the most fun it could have been. You know, where everybody's, you know enjoying it and having fun and you know being uh interacting with it i'd say that and that was you know after that it was you know i mean i i had a blast i think we ended up doing about 13 or 14 sessions so like 13 or 14 weeks and got a lot a lot more than i had anticipated uh done and it was a great like i learned so much from it um but i'd say that first session was just kind of like oh man (laughs) uh -hmm. i wish everybody who you know started it would be there to the end but Say lovey. That's how it goes.
0: Yeah, I've I've not ever run a pirate campaign, but that sounds like fun. And I know one of my other friends from back in Charlotte actually mm-hmm. ran a pirate campaign for a while. Yeah. And he had a ton of fun with it. Yeah,
1: the uh I mean heavily drawn inspiration from obviously Pirates of the Caribbean, um, like classic, you know, Davy Jones, like Pirate Mythos, um, mm-hmm. a little bit of like most of it, honestly, drawn from uh, One Piece, which is like <laughs> one of my favorite shows, and I actually ended up incorporating Devil Fruits into that campaign, mm-hmm. which, which hindsight probably wasn't the best thing, but it made a really interesting character progression for both of my my, my player characters, and mm-hmm. also kind of getting to you know steal a couple and give them to my characters was pretty cool. <laughs> we had some really interesting combat. Uh, Mm -hmm. To to say the least, but um, yeah, it it was essentially like a pirate carnival where like Mm -hmm. all the pirates in the world got together and um, basically partied for like two weeks straight and brought all their gold and jewels and valuables to trade. And yeah, it it was, it was a blast. I I think that that will always be one of my favorites and I I can't wait to go back and like start start started again with like, you know, a new group of people like from the beginning. I think that I'm really looking forward to that as well.
0: Yeah, everyone I know, my wife included, is super into One Piece. Yes. And I have seen the first four episodes of it.
1: Yeah, there's a few more after that. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> That's the whole thing. I thought the first four episodes were good, mm-hmm. but I just keep looking at how many episodes there are, and I'm just like, oh, God.
1: Are they? Do they break 900? Is I, that where they're at? I feel like they have. Yeah. Yeah, I've fallen behind. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not as not as dedicated as some, but uh, yeah. I mean that's that's one that's one of the Holy Trinity. This is one piece. I, I I'm a big fan.
0: All right. So uh, I mean that could end up being your answer for this next question. Um, but Gunner, if you could make an RPG for any fictional universe that doesn't already have one, or update an old RPG with a more modern rule set, what would it be?
1: That's a really good question. <laughs> and I've been th- I think this is one of the only ones I got stuck on uh, after you sent them to me. Um I'm sure there's been a variant or you know some other homebrew or, or probably a really popular version already in play. Um I love the Fallout series so much and um doing like a post-apocalyptic sci-fi um I think would be great. I've just like my brain is so hardwired on like fantasy and like medieval style campaigns and like not really bringing really anything past like the industrial era, you know, as far as like technology is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 just like my, my brain, just my, my own way of approaching it. I feel like, um, I just, I would need a lot of help to do it. Um, and like I said, I'm sure there's already pre-built ones out there. If I, if I looked hard enough, I feel like that would be a really fun, uh, campaign to run and kind of like, you know, a group of people who are kind of dropped into this world that's, you know, kind of on its last legs, you kind of have to really, you know, scavenge and search for the things that you need, the food, the parts, the equipment, you know, components and everything. Um and just kind of also playing into like survivability. You know, like are you able to withstand the harsh environments or you know, like the the crazy creatures that, you know, are hardy enough to remain. Um, I feel like that would be a really like fun and gripping campaign to run, personally.
0: Well, Gunnar, I have good news for you. This is an article from Tech Raptor from March sixth of this year, but uh Modifius games is either working on or has released an officially licensed Fallout tabletop RPG.
1: Oh, my prayers have been answered. (laughs) You said Modiphius?
0: Yes. It says it will be available summer 2019, which we are most of the way through, so maybe it's available now, maybe it's coming out soon. I don't know. I am not seeing anything else.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it here. Wasteland Warfare, huh?
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. I cannot believe this is news to me now. I feel like I should have known about this <laughs> before before today. Oh, this is oh my gosh, I just got goosebumps, Ryan. This is really exciting. Ooh, yeah. Okay. I'll have Glad to, to be of assistance. Bookmark that for later. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome. <laughs> and so the last of these introductory questions, Gunner, this question, the, the answer to it can be as philosophical or sophomoric as you want it to be. If you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be?
1: Anything on a t-shirt?
0: I would say
1: <laughs> uh, one of the people that I watch on YouTube they just like I don't know if they end up actually making the the shirt itself but like they had they had pitched an idea that's just like it stuck in my head so I figured I'd share it uh, but essentially it's just it's a plain like you know white or gray you know body, Colored shirt, you know, the normal T, like athletic fit or whatever. Um, but it just it's just plain text, nothing fancy. Um, but essentially, it just reads: um, "My other shirt has dog crap on it." Uh, <laughs> and, and like, it, it, and I just like they, they ended up in like a little like mock, you know, image for it, and like put it up over the video. And like they were just talking about it for like three episodes, and it was like, no, it's like it's the perfect shirt because your other shirt has dog crap on it so this is the shirt that you have on standby like it makes perfect sense and then just they go back and forth it's three of them uh that, that play uh, i don't know if you watch hat films or not
0: i i don't but. yeah
1: but uh, oh my gosh and then they just they go on and on and on about it and they end up saying you know, you know what when i get my my dog crap t-shirt sales back and i start making that big money then you know you can come talk to me but just like it just <laughs> goes on and on i feel like something like that um, would be hilarious but my own personal t-shirt design um, a t-shirt similar like white gray uh, you know base body color nothing too fancy um, it's just a smaller t-shirt the exact same t-shirt like graphic at the center kind of like, to- like Tony Stark like placement like the core it's mm-hmm. just a smaller shirt on the shirt so it's just a shirt shirt That that's that, <laughs> that would be mine like nothing no text no fancy just like a smaller version of the shirt in the center of the chest of the actual shirt itself.
0: Would it be one of those like tricks of the eyes where there's then a smaller shirt on the small shirt? And
1: yes, I'd say with a high <laughs> enough perception roll, you would, you would be able to see yet another smaller, tinier t-shirt on that smaller t-shirt. And it, yeah, it just infinitely like if you got like down to like the microscopic level, it would just keep going. Like it would just be like an infinity shirt. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's, that would be mine. The ideal t-shirt.
0: All right, so for this next portion of the interview, I'm going to start, as I start many interviews, uh, with a story. Yeah. And this is one that you've already heard, but the good people at home have not heard this. So for those of you who don't already know, Gunner has a famous father. Um, His famous father is, in fact, WWE's Undertaker, making him the Sundertaker. Nice. I've been holding on to that for a long time. Just so you know. <laughs>
1: Does it feel good? Does it feel yes. good? Yes. Okay. Good.
0: <laughs> and when I found this out, I, I'd already met Gunner once or twice before I figure before I was told slash figured that out. Mm-hmm. And we'd already talked about D anD D a little bit, so I knew that you were into it. Yeah. And it just so happened that I had a story that perfectly fused those two aspects of your life together. <laughs> and so I will I will now recall that story. This was the second session of the first game that I'd ever DM'd. This was with my my OG group in Charlotte. All of the cast of ragamuffins that you've heard from and will hear from were involved in this one. And basically, they had come into the service of... The emperor of this gigantic evil empire, and he wanted them to prove their metal in the arena. And so they go into the arena and they shack up with some of the the gladiators that are there. And uh, the gladiators all have very familiar sounding names and personalities. For example, there was uh, Dragnar Laraka. That's right, Dragnar Laraka. And when they came in, he was cooking a big pot of stew, and then he asked if they smelled what Laraka was cooking.
1: Classic. Instant classic.
0: hmm They also <laughs> found a bald-headed, beer-swilling man by the name of Stone Cold Sven Arrington. And then, last but not least, they ran into a very, very tall tiefling cleric who went by the moniker of the mortician. Yes. (sighs) And it was just me and one other guy in that D&D group who had watched any amount of wrestling. We were both mega fans into it. At Mm. that point, I had plans of becoming a professional wrestler.
1: Right, we talked about that, yeah.
0: Yep. So we nerded out over that, (laughs) me and that guy, and everyone else was super confused. But then I told Gunner that story and your reaction was the best that I could hope for because you then told me everyone who meets me either talks about my dad or D&D. No one has ever talked about both.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was uh, a <laughs> when worlds collide. Uh It could not have been a more <laughs> appropriate feeling. <laughs>
0: And so I have immortalized your father in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. I'm sure I'm not the only one,
1: though. No, but I I love that now, uh, among the many names that he's taken, I can tack on as the latest of that list is The Mortician.
0: The Mortician. (laughs) Up there with Mean Mark Callis and Texas Red and The Higher Power.
1: The, uh, can we swear on here? Yes. The American Badass. Yep. Oh, man. (laughs)
0: is that your favorite of his past gimmicks
1: as a kid yeah i mean it was like you know how cool your dad rolls out on a Mm -hmm. big harley davidson bike and you know in like a blue a torn sleeve like blue jean jacket and a bandana and sunglasses (laughs) it just goes up there and and cleans house i mean you know Mm -hmm. it uh, i've told many people like it's definitely a charmed life um and being a kid and kind of growing up through that you know it, 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 you're you're one of your parents is like quite literally to you as like a superhero i mean like mm-hmm. you see them on tv and you have action figures and like i think one of the coolest things being an adult and kind of you know my mindset changing you know as i get older is like gosh like what are my kids going to think you know like when i hand down like okay here's some toys of your grandpa and some old VHS <laughs> tapes like let's let's watch grandpa uh freaking choke slam mankind through the hell in a cell <laughs> like what is that going to be like you know to them and mm-hmm. like it's it really is it's been a charmed life for sure um, and i've met so many just wonderful and genuine people like yourself who just we're always fans and like just appreciate the chance to like you know meet somebody who's close to him and you know being his son like yeah oh my gosh like are you gonna do it are you gonna are you gonna follow in his footsteps are you gonna are you gonna put on the leotard and the eye makeup and and do the thing like no <laughs> it's, it's 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 unfortunately no it's, it's not who I am um, but it's probably one of the, the most questions I would get asked. Um, Mm -hmm. but it is it's just like uh, so many interesting people I don't think I would have had the chance to meet or had them open up to me in a way where just like it was so like endearing and just like you know they just they had nothing but respect and admiration and just want to share that and just think it's you know the coolest thing in the world that they get to talk to me and i'm just like i'm i'm just a guy I'm, I'm just a son like but i i appreciate the love and i of course i will always pass it along without hesitation
0: gotcha and i have just two follow-up questions they're related to each other and then we move on to uh to more talk about D. of course were you at x7 and did you get to meet lenny
1: I was not. Um, oh. I did not get the chance, unfortunately.
0: Well, damn. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's to all right. Burst that bubble. It's all right. I was just thinking, like, oh, okay, so you you've met the Rock. You've I'm going through all the different names that you would have met, and I was just like, but Lemmy, did you meet Lemmy? No, apparently not. No,
1: I. <laughs> one of the ones, yeah, I, I probably wish I did, but um, and, and again, most of the people that. I remember meeting. I was so young. I was like mm-hmm. 10 or 11. And, you know, you're just, you're kind of still so awestruck at that age where you're just, you're kind of like, you don't know what, <laughs> what really what's going on. Like, you're just, you're trying to keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, so many just like, just genuine people out there, man. They are all just really great, kind human beings. And you, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't think it. The, the the people that they portray, you know, like, mm-hmm. they're all professionals. Like, they, you know, they... They're doing what they love, Um, but I do wish I I got to meet Lemmy. I I really do.
0: And so one of the other things that we bonded over was not just our love of D&D, but our love of painting minis. Yes. And so I have to ask you, Gunnar, when did you first start painting minis? Honestly,
1: not even even more than like a, a year, year and a half ago. It was really recently that I got into it.
0: Gotcha. Were minis a part of your game before you started painting them, or was that something that kind of came as you were painting them?
1: That uh, that was already established from the first game that I played, and that was about oh my gosh, like five years ago at this point. When we when mm-hmm. I did that first session with Borgu, um, and they had they had minis. They weren't painted. They weren't anything fancy. Um, you know, just kind of like placeholders mostly like you know we we didn't really even have most of the the minis for the the things that we were encountering or even of our own players um we just kind of you know built the collection as we went and then you know now we we actually have a decent i probably say like between all of us you know like a collection of about 150 to 175 minis including like player characters now um and and the painting really didn't even come until like i said until a year and a half ago, and and I, I, I tell you, I've had this set of minis. I sent you a picture of them, like the ones that I had primed and just mm-hmm. got them all with like the the base black coat. I have had those for at least fifteen years, like back from the '90s, back just like I I don't know what specifically what game they were, you know, cast for, like the molds were made for. Um, But they're just like a bunch of stock, you know, like horses and riders, archers, spearmen, like, you know, stuff that looks like town guards or just, you know, like patrol guards, Um, like a couple, uh, two like uh, metal casts of like the giant eagles. Um, I sent you one of those as well. And um, just like a a bunch of ragtag pieces that have just been sitting in this really nice case in our attic, like in my mom's place for again like 15 years and it wasn't until like i started you know playing D more regularly and i was following more people online who played and you know looking into resources and um we had started you know using like an old tv to do like the the tabletop display so we we started using maps and photoshop and trying to you know up our game consistently the minis were always a part of it though um i just didn't end up i didn't consider painting them until recently And it just, it added such a new layer to my appreciation for the game and for the craft. Like, it was just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, this like tiny, you know, almost like seemingly insignificant piece of the story. Like you just get so attached to it and like you spend a lot of time painting a lot of these little intricate details and you just you know you get in that mind space like that headspace again it's just like you know like oh like, i can't wait to play this character again and you know what are they going to do next and it just it, it kept building into the experience that i already loved and it just added another facet to my fascination of, of, of dungeons and dragons entirely gotcha
0: so what was it that actually got you to to pick up a mini and go i should paint this
1: um, once I stepped into, uh, it was like a Citadel, uh, paints, like little like corner store, you know, like they had mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff for like the Warhammer games and they had like five or six like bigger tables, you know, like six by 10 or, uh, mm-hmm. six by seven tables. And they would like run games They had all the paints and all the brushes there, like all the different kinds of minis that were like either, you know, prebuilt or you could build them yourself. Some were prime, some weren't. And just how accessible, it, like it, it immediately became stepping in. It was like, oh, I can just literally walk in with all my own paints and stuff, sit down, and you know, chill out for like two hours and work on some minis. Yeah, like if there was ever a time to get started, I guess it's now. And I probably, I think, I dropped like seventy-five dollars on like a bunch <laughs> of just like you know, brushes and paints and uh, like washes and dry brush material and uh, all the like the like the the base coat and like little like palettes to do like different colors and mix them together and like it was like being an art class again you know like as a kid like in high school i was like oh man like this is this is where it's at and i ended up i I went over there one day for like two and a half three hours and i was working on someone like the archers and getting really into like mixing all the colors and yeah like it was just like i said it, it it was finding another you know facet of this thing that i love and just you know pouring yourself into it and like as an artist you know it was, it was you know it was like a fish to water i was like oh yeah like this is just another creative outlet like <laughs> i'm all about it
0: i mean like you said you you come from a background of art i very much uh do not come <laughs> from a background of art uh so i found that kind of picking up the technique of mini painting and really honing it and and making the minis look as good as i possibly can was a a labor of trial and error did you have that same trial and error in the beginning or did you take to it pretty naturally
1: yes lots of trial and error especially just getting them prepped like having to completely coat something so intricate and tiny um, mm-hmm. I struggled with and then um, getting into the painting itself like you I mean I you need a steady hand, and I'd I'd say even more so. You need a lot of patience because you're gonna you're gonna slip, and you're gonna drag the brush, or you're gonna you know bleed colors where you don't want them to bleed, or you know put the wrong color on there, and it looks kind of blotchy. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. Um, Absolutely, but it just it kind of, and I think too, what helped was having you know uh, another friend of mine who was already kind of well-versed and had been painting for a while. Um, It was really kind of like inspiring to see some of his work and talking about it and like sharing his tips and tricks. I was like, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. Let me try that next time. Um, And and we've done, we've done uh, one get together and we all like kind of sat down. That's when I worked on that Eagle um, and, and just kind of, uh, found uh, just you know the technique I think just just comes with repetition you know you you find your own way to quickly you know block things out and then you know go over and layer details I mean very much like any you know piece of digital artwork that I, I work with I work in layers like just kind of building those those values and those shades and everything it's just it's my my, my <laughs> I'm already hardwired to think that way, so kind of applying it to you know minis and, and just painting in general, already having some experience with it, it didn't take too long, um, but it, it definitely was like okay, yeah, I can I can see the learning curve here, uh, you know, for anybody who's not used to it or has never tried it before. Um, I feel like yeah, like you'll you'll work on something for an hour or two and then like you'll turn it around and be like oh my gosh i totally missed this part <laughs> like it's just like there's so much to it you can get lost in um but i again i just like i had no issues like sticking with it and like honestly just wish like i i struggle with finding more time for it is is really where i'm at now like i wish i had more time in the day to paint the the rest of these minis that i have
0: was that was that a paulo who kind of showed you the ropes of mini painting
1: Paulo. Yeah. Yeah. He is, he is, I mean, or I mean, he's one of the few people that I have met that paints, but he just, he's one of those ones like, yeah, he gets it. Like he will finish something and it looks like you ordered it online from like, you know, wizards of the coast, like already painted, ready to go. And just like has such an eye for detail. Like I said, Mm -hmm. he's, he was an invaluable resource and, uh, he's a great player. I love, uh, I love, uh, learning from him and also, like, playing alongside of him in the game.
0: Gotcha. I know that guy. Shouts to Paulo. Yeah. We all work together. (laughs) That's right. And so, kind of, like, building color triads and and shading and stuff like that, this was all stuff that you kind of new already and just had to apply to, to mini painting. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Building your color palettes or, you know, finding your, your, your three or triads and and building off of that. Yeah. That was, um, like I said, I, I, (laughs) I took every art class that I could in my like general education and then I went to get my art degree. So like, Hey, it it finally paid off for something, (laughs) you know, like by the end of it, uh, I I get to apply it to my, you know, my other hobbies and and my, uh, my interests. Um, so that was, yeah, that was really helpful.
0: Now in my time painting, I've noticed that there are some colors that are just harder to work with than others. What colors do you find you struggle the most with? I think, (laughs) and I learned
1: this from like getting my first round of paints Um, a lot of like the earth tones and like Browns, especially um, Mm -hmm. I always struggle with just trying to build those color palettes based on like, you know, stuff that has like the color palette of dirt. Like, you know, it just like, they kind of all blend together and getting like the right, you know, shadows in the right places. Like, I don't feel like it, 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 go, it, it I don't feel like it, it translates the way that I see it in, in my mind's eye. And then when I put it on the, the mini, I let it dry, and I look at it and spin it around. I'm like, no, that just looks like they've been rolling around in the mud for <laughs> a couple minutes, like... I, I struggle with, like, those earthen tones a lot, and that was, like, most of the, the colors that I got. Like, I wanted to do kind of lower tier. Like I said, like, a lot of the pieces that I had looked like guards, so I didn't want them, you know, to be in, like, royal armor, gold-trimmed filigree or anything like that. It's just kind of something more uh, mass production was kind of what I was going for, and just so I could <laughs> kind of get used to it. Um, but once I kind of branched out and I did some of like the primary colors and I ended up, I, I, I went, I went back like two days later and I got some just like, you know, uh, metallic-y sort of like iron and, uh, silver and gold and, and, and put some of those like shinier elements to it. And that helped kind of break up those colors and allowed me to build out those palettes again really easily. So, um, it ended up just being as simple as stepping away from that palette and just trying something new it ended up, you know, working out great.
0: And so you're pretty much, uh, like straight across the board, still using Citadel paints and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. I still have a lot of the ones I bought, uh, first round, like, um, you know, some of them, you just need to add a little bit of water to it and mix it up. Some of them are still fresh. Like, um, they last a really long time and yeah, the Citadel paints, um, is just what I started with. So I'm very comfortable with it. I haven't really used any of the other ones that are out there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think you said you used a different brand as well.
0: Yeah, I use uh, Army Painter. That's right. Because that's uh, when I was getting into mini painting, I, I was able to find they actually had like the the license from Wizards of the Coast to have like D and D themed paints. Okay, and so I got those uh, just because the the set was inexpensive and it came with a mini as well, so I could practice. I I started painting when I was playing Warhammer forty k. I didn't focus on the Technique of it, I just did it to have something painted that I could put on the board. And so I'd been out of practice painting for oh god, seven or eight years, eight years, yeah, definitely eight years. And I just was like, all right, let's see what I remember. And so I started painting, and I did a really terrible job on the first one, but <clears throat> anyway. Long way of saying I had Army Painter paints and I was used to kind of those colors. And so when Christmas came around, my sisters actually went together and got me like the big giant Army Painter paint set that you can find on Amazon. It's like eighty five dollars, but it comes with friggin everything. Oh, that's great. And so uh, when it comes to brushes... I started out just with regular uh paint brushes, but I I noticed that a lot of the people who make painting videos were using special kind of brushes, so I actually got myself some mink hair brushes. Have you branched out into the world of special brushes?
1: No, and that that sounds uh sounds very fancy. Mink hair. What what is what is a mink? I'm not familiar.
0: So it's that it's the same creature that they make like fur coats out of. Oh. Uh. But it's a specific type of, it's like a Russian red-haired mink or something like that. But apparently their tail fur is soft enough that it makes good brush head material. And they last a long time if you take care of them. And they're really good with detail and they keep a point really well. So a lot of people recommend them.
1: Do you feel like that holds true?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I noticed uh, my detail got a lot sharper when I started painting with those brushes than when I was using just kind of the regular brushes huh.
1: interesting yeah no I've never uh, I've never even heard of that I like I, I said I just picked up like the, the base starter kit paints that the like five brushes that it came with and then I ended mm-hmm. up having a couple extra just in my own <laughs> my own inventory uh, so to speak that I've just I, I, I've kept up with um, but I hadn't really branched out into like dedicated, you know, custom, like, miniature painting brushes or anything with, uh, yeah, or mink hair or anything like that. uh, You just got those online? or? Yep, yeah, I just found them
0: on Amazon. They're actually not super expensive. Oh,
1: I'll have to look into that then, or if you have a, a preferred link or something, definitely send that my way. Yeah, yeah, I can do that.
0: When we're talking about miniatures, there's a struggle that a lot of players have in that you'll be looking at Reaper or whiz kids and you, you don't quite find the right miniature for your character. Fortunately in this internet age, we have custom miniature sites. Gunnar, have you utilized one of those yet?
1: Yes. Yes. We, uh, we all went through, um, uh, hero forge and ended up building our own custom minis and mm-hmm. ordered them, had them mailed out and then painted, um, by our, uh, amazing friend, Paulo, um, it was, yeah, I like that was one of the greater defining moments I think in, in my D and D career, um, was, was that whole process from start to finish. And I, I thought about painting it myself, but honestly, I just, I had seen the quality that, um, you know, that, that, that Paulo had displayed to us. And so I, I, I trusted him with, with the task and he, he delivered, he did not, uh, did not let us down. Um, And it was just, it was so cool um, that that that's a thing now that you can just Mm go and instead of ordering one or just getting like a, you know, like a base pack, like I I always love getting the um, the little like menagerie packs. that will just, you know, they have like five random pieces. You don't know what you're going to get until you open it. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, building one from scratch, that was really cool (laughs) to say the least. Absolutely.
0: I've got a few of them that. Are sitting on my my mini shelf across the room i i really like uh hero forge and i'm really looking forward to i know i mentioned them all the time eldritch foundry because they've yeah. been on the show i'm super excited for what they have to offer i've i've seen some of what they they had at gen con they had some issues with uh kind of the back end the software itself because this was their their soft launch as it were but some of the stuff that they've posted online looks really good. Uh, looks like it takes paint really well, so I'm super excited for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would. Uh, I'd be really interested to see um, and and try like a, a new, um, uh, essentially a, a new manufacturer, like just to see. Because um, right, like I said, right now we're at the point of just trying to to grow and, and build our collection. So I would love to get some of their um, their minis as well and, and try painting them as well.
0: One thing that I've noticed as my mini collection has grown is that I get a small amount of anxiety when I want to put a monster on the board, but I don't have a mini for it. (laughs) I've had to force myself to get over that because there's no way that I can have a mini for every monster, I have to tell myself. Do you find that you have that same anxiety, though?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, in a perfect world, there's a there's an like a rotating Lazy Susan closet with every single <laughs> style and make of you know monster and and character alike, all in like different color palettes. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, we're not all made of money, and uh, we don't have uh, infinitely expanding storage space. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yes, it, it definitely is a struggle. I think, uh, especially among. Uh, game masters and dungeon masters alike. Um, there's always like you know the the <laughs> the frost troll that's uh, also you know a storm giant that's also uh, uh, <laughs> a fire demon that's also you know the the great Norse god like kind of just takes up every role that you know you can't put a custom mini down for. Um, mm. and I do, I, there's, there's a certain level of anxiety, anxiety, uh, behind it where it's just like, gosh, like it would look so cool to just have him standing right there, but we're just going to use the frost giant again.
0: Yeah. I had a situation a few weeks ago where I threw out a manticore and the only mini I had that kind of fit the size was a Balor mini. And so I set it on the table and they're just like, Oh my God, it's a Balor. <laughs> <'cause>... <laughs> They're level five, and that's like a CR nineteen creature. And I was just like, no, 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 it's not. It's, it's Manticore. Yeah,
1: it's a big bad. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna need a few more levels before we fight this one. Yeah, no, I, I definitely I share I share the sentiment, and I definitely experienced a lot of the same.
0: So with minis, especially now that you have the uh, the the custom miniatures, do you feel like they add another level of immersion to your game?
1: Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah.
0: And have you noticed Minis kind of changing the way that combat goes?
1: Yeah, I feel like um we've we've played some sessions where we just have the um the battle map, which is just, you know, the the, the simple um like evened out grid of the, the you know just squares, um just so you can kind of dictate movement and show where things are. Um and when it comes to when you're in combat with you know a lot of the same type of enemy or just like smaller groups, you know you tend to just have other tokens or things uh, that you know on standby. Um, but when there's actually minis on there, uh, again it, it helps. It helps just kind of unlock your you know your imagination a little bit. And uh, even if you don't have this you know the right mini or you know something that just like a Manticore represent or opposite. Um, something representing a manticore that ne- isn't necessarily a manticore. It just kind of visually helps you, you know, see what's going on as opposed to just talking it out. It's like, okay, the monster's over here now. It's on your right, you know, five, ten feet to the the right. Or, you know, you move forward this amount and now the creature swoops in from above you. Um, it just, it kind of just helps you keep, you know, your your little Imaginarium running is kind of how I, how I always thought of it. It's like you kind of have that, that third-party view of, you know, the, the, the field and what's going on. And yeah, I feel like it, it definitely helps, um, to stay immersed. And I feel like it, uh, it's, it definitely, when you have your own, you know, custom minis, of course, but just to, to help just kind of build the experience overall, I guess, is, is like I said, it, from the start, we had always had minis on the table, and like that's what kind of drew me in. Um, I've played games online, like through Roll20, and and having the tokens and just kind of like the, you know, up on the screen for yourself. It's just, it's different. It's different for me, and, and it's not my preferred way to play. I like having the tactile, that's the word I was looking for, the tactile <laughs> sensation of being able to move something on, on a board and watching it kind of... De- dance through combat or just, you know, kind of move throughout the world that you're imagining. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it for me and for my games, it is essential.
0: Gotcha. Well, as we're kind of wrapping up here, uh, the last thing I kind of wanted to talk with you about, you, you've been excited about this campaign that you guys are, are in right now. So just kind of tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about what's going on in your D and D world right now.
1: Yeah. Um, so adventure quest, like I said, it's a very, um, it's a very classic style RPG experience, and we started out, I believe, at level 3, um, and we're up to level 10 now. So we've been playing for about, we just did our 33rd session, so it's been almost a year, you know, with a couple breaks. We, we try and meet up once a week, um, and, and right now it's it's five of us, including our DM. Um, and it's a really tight knit group. It's been amazing. Like I said, I've seen people who are new to it and have never played before really step into their roles. Myself, and um, you know, one of the other player characters has been you know playing for a while now, past couple years. And I think our DM, uh, Niles, he just he is such a way of storytelling that is so enticing and just makes you almost was like you can't miss a session like there's just there's such like a great element of world building and you know compelling story and dialogue that just you know at its core you know what what makes a character fun to play is you know like the world that you're experiencing and the world that you're brought into um and coming into it now as a support role um has been really eye-opening because i've i've kind of I've been used to being up in the fray, up in the front, and, you know, like I said, dealing the damage or taking the big hits. And, you know, I've played Barbarian, I've played Fighter, I've played um, just about every other class. And Cleric is the is the first time around. And like I said, I think it's become my favorite class and character just because of how versatile it is and being able to assist your fellow party members Um, We have been going through the world now, and it's essentially this world where anybody um, that is not a human is kind of looked upon with fear. And it wasn't always that way. Um, It it was something decreed by the royalty of this world, uh, essentially dictated by the queen after there was an attack made on her life. And it was by a group of exposed non-humans. Thus, any non-human in this world will be looked on with questioning and fear. And we're kind of getting into the point in the story where uh, martial law is pretty much in effect. Like, they're going out and anybody who has any reason to be suspicious of, they're being detained, they're being captured, they're being questioning without fair trial, they're being taken away or just shot down where they stand. Um, And we have a lot of non-humans in our party (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh as it turns out so my my character being a um a high elf and that's another another new thing to me i've never played like a a, a, a pure blood elf uh, we have a dragonborn we have a dwarf we have a couple other uh we have a dragonborn like we're, we're kind of an eclectic bunch and we stand out in a crowd of you know <laughs> just humans and mm-hmm. we're at the point of the story now where we've we had to go and break out one of our own from a, uh, a prison. We did a prison break, and we went directly against one of the higher-ranking officials in the Queen's army. Uh, we essentially like declared war on the Queen, unintentionally. Um, <laughs> but we knew that if we didn't, you know, act now, that our companions, our allies, were going to be subject to. I mean, you name it, like, you know, whatever they need from them, they're going to strip them of their their dignity and their rights. And they're just going to, you know, toss them to the wayside. And and we're not about that. Our party's very much a uh, bunch of (laughs) do-gooders, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And, uh, you know, our our main uh, plot point now is our Dragonborn Paladin who serves Tyr, and he's very much the righteous good. You know, he's not going to listen to evil. He's not going to bargain with, you know, villains. And he's he's going to uphold to his laws and his sense of justice. Um, right now, it's kind of his backstory being flushed out. And he's actually wearing a cursed amulet that um, essentially any magic that is cast on him or through him reduces his uh, his lifespan significantly so any imagine just trying to cast like a simple cantrip or something and if you fail a constitution saving throw you could age up to four years your life just gone Mm. so he's kind of like putting a really he's putting a rock in a hard place um because Mm -hmm. he has a lot of you know kind of boon magic that like helps buff the party Um, and we're used to him kind of you know getting up in the fray he kind of has to sit in the back now and we kind of have to you know protect him even more so than we were before my character having to step into a role where you know I'm having to take a lot more of the hits I ended up choosing the life uh, cleric domain so I could take the heavy armor feat or the heavy armor proficiency so I could actually you know be viable in in combat Um, and it's been so cool because you know, we, we started, you know, we're like, we were kind of free to walk around and, and, and do our own business. And then over time, you know, the Queen's the queens' Rule kind of, you know, pushed us away from a lot of the established cities. And we kind of had to work from the shadows. Um, we ended up forming kind of our own Thieves Guild. And um, we, we're in a place now where we're in some essentially ancient ruins that um, belong to the original um royalty to this land hundreds of years ago before the latest you know bloodline kind of overtook it and we're uncovering a lot of the um the shady dealings in this world and some of the reasons why non-humans are being persecuted it's kind of coming to light so a lot of these like bigger motifs are are coming into play and we're learning so much more about our characters as we play them Uh, but also again the world that we're in just keeps growing Our choices matter. They dictate, you know, what is going on. And, you know, if we decide to do one thing now, the other option that we had probably isn't going to be there when we get back. And the longer that we, you know, stay uninvolved, things will continue to change. And probably, like, you know, it's kind of like territories, like – do you ever play Risk? Yep. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, the the, the more you leave things behind, they kind of get overtaken and swallowed, <laughs> and, you're like, you're just constantly trying to work your way through the map. Like, there's so many things going on, and it just, it's, like I said, it's always been engaging. It's always been um, this feeling like, you know, you you get into your character, and, um, you know, the DM will recognize that and kind of play to, you know, those strengths, but also really throw you some some challenging, you know, decisions. Um and I think that's just ultimately, like I said, between seeing characters, you know, get lost in, in in their experience and playing a game that just constantly draws you in. It's just been it's been one of the best experiences thus far. I, I always look forward to getting together uh, on the weekends and sitting down and just, you know, rolling the dice, rolling the bones and see where it goes. Absolutely. To <laughs> the full circle there. Yep. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, Gunnar, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, It's been great talking with you. Um, We should do this more often. We work on different floors, so we unfortunately don't get to see each other all that often. I know.
1: I know. I I, I do. uh, I do enjoy this. And thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Like I would I'm more than happy to come back on at any point and uh, and talk more shop any day.
0: No problem at all. It was great talking to you. So guys, that is gonna do it for today's episode. Um, Gunnar, do you have anything to promote? Any plugs you want to do uh, before we before we call it a day? Yeah, um, any
1: uh, anywhere online um, where you can find some of my artwork, or um, like more recently, I've been trying to do some more D and D inspired projects. Um, my handle is the Shogun Gun, so that's the Shogun Gun. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter. Um, Twitter is the Shogun Gun and the number one. Um, and I'm also getting back into Twitch again. I want to start doing some more live streams. So I'll be showcasing artwork and then for some community events, probably doing some games, uh, some fun party games. But that is the Shogun Gun on Twitch. Um, and yeah, follow me, check it out, and uh, uh, more to come.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, like I said, that's going to do it for today's episode. Uh, next week, and I meet at this time. Larry Elmore will be on Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. I'm so excited to talk about Larry, talk about the early days of D&D art, and just how he and others like him who were working at TSR at the time kind of formed our ideas of what D&D looks like. But until then, remember, it's all about respect. (laughs) I'll see you next time.